0: Morning Liberty.
1: Well, what is up, all of our liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. Today's episode, our morning time episode, is a very special interview with Preston Gabriel Nelson, who is running in the 8th district in the state of Illinois. Now, Charlie and I are both from Illinois, fled there several, several years ago, but we really do hope the place gets turned around, gets back on its feet, well, because our whole family still live there, and we, we really don't want to see the place continue in the same direction it's been going. And if you are also interested in not seeing Illinois continue to fall off the cliff, it's been falling off for quite some time now, then you need to be considering some of the candidates we've been interviewing lately. So Preston, Gabriel, Nelson, running in the 8th District, right up there, around chicagoland he's got some great ideas great philosophy check him out here we go my name is preston nelson
0: preston gabriel nelson officially on the ballot i'm a libertarian running for the united states congress in a two-way race uh for the eighth district in illinois Uh, There's not a Republican running. It's just me and the incumbent Democrat, Raja Krishnamurti. Currently, I'm standing in a place called Schaumburg. Uh, This is the western suburbs of Chicago. And uh, Schaumburg is home to about a fourth of the registered voters in this district. And I'm standing outside the busiest polling place in the district holding a very large sign with my name on it and my website. And uh, I'm handing out cards to anyone who will take them. And I believe I'm stealing a lot of Democratic votes as we speak.
2: Very nice. That's a good place to be calling from. So, yeah, uh, yeah so give us a little uh, background on uh, your district and uh, then what made you decide to run and, and what, you know, what's your platform?
0: Yeah, so my district is largely metropolitan suburbia. It covers from Elk Grove Village, goes up to Palatine, down to Lombard, and then it goes eastward uh, and covers Elgin, Illinois. Elgin is a very historic city in Illinois, one of the oldest, uh, also the eighth largest city in Illinois, also one of the most diverse. Over 50% of Elgin's population is, uh, is uh, born abroad. And so they, actually the whole district is rather diverse. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a fairly mostly well-to-do district. Uh, the, the average income I believe is over 60,000 and, and I want to represent not just, uh, you know, the average people that make up most of this district, but the average people that make up most of America. I think that actually the misrepresentation of Americans or maybe the outright non-representation of Americans is really at the heart of most of our issues nowadays, uh, whether it's the rising cost of health care or the rising cost of food or the inflation that no one is talking about or never-ending wars. It's all because large corporations and special interests are very well represented and we are not. A lot of people, you know, they want more COVID stimulus. But what a lot of people don't realize and no one in the media talks about is how over 80 percent of those trillion dollars that we just printed or quantitatively, they went to large corporations, the same corporations that routinely donate to Democratic and Republican campaigns. So, you know, they talk on the news occasionally, you know, the differences between Democrats and Republicans. And there are some. But I would say that the similarities are much greater. And and that's why no matter who is in there, we just continue at war, and we continue subsidizing big companies. We continue these crony tax breaks for mega corporations, and it just doesn't do well for we the people.
2: And you were talking about wanna, running against the incumbent Democrat. So how long has that Democrat been in office, and, and what sets you apart? Where you think you're resonating with the with the Democrat? voters uh, to move over to the libertarian side and and vote for you?
0: Great question. So this he's running now for his third term and I actually have a number of Democrats who are working on my campaign. He has alienated various portions of his base because he hasn't do anything, done anything to reform immigration, Mm -hmm. has not done anything to make healthcare more affordable or accessible. And he is actually supported by, you know, this is very ironic and hypocritical because Democrats tend to criticize the president for, you know, having some relations with Russia. But actually there are lawmakers on both sides of the aisle that are receiving funds from India. Uh, India has, you know, we're dealing with police brutality here in in the States. But India is suffering from something on a whole nother level. More than 30 churches and mosques have been burnt. This year alone, by Hindu nationalists who have taken over the government. Prime Minister Modi used to be banned from America because he was—he uh, he basically gave authority for some 2,000 Islamic people to be massacred by the uh, majority group in India. Um, so there's a lot of things that aren't in the news that no one talks about, but people that uh, are, are a little more familiar with the situation, they are very upset about some of these things. Uh, this group the rss um that's what the uh if you you can just google raja krishnamurthy rss you'll find information on it and you'll see that he speaks for their groups uh, he won't he won't uh you know speak against the violence being perpetrated by this group's members in india and it's very unfortunate because we you know the, the new popular phrase is violence is violence and i really agree that when you come from india but you won't criticize who used to be your uh, president for what's going on? That's you know, there's something up there, and and uh, I I think it needs to change.
1: Now, with as what's far as up- uh, sorry, resonating
0: sorry. with the Democrats, uh, you know, I talk about immigration. I talk about my plan to make health care cheaper and more accessible to people, and people like that. Uh, something I talk about that no one else I hear is talking about is reforming national agricultural policy. And this really plays into COVID nineteen, because uh, so at the federal level, we spend over a hundred billion dollars every year subsidizing mostly very unhealthy food. Uh, Think that's kind of corn that grows in endless fields that isn't even edible until it's processed by you know industrial machinery turned into corn syrup. Um, white sugar is well documented to kill immune systems and the government spends over $5 billion every year subsidizing white sugar. The result is white sugar is cheap, so everyone buys it, and everyone buys drinks full of it, and when everyone's walking around consuming white sugar all the time, we have debilitated immune systems, and what happens? We get sick. This is a large part of the current pandemic, because everyone's immune system is debilitated because of this diet that is literally sponsored with hundreds of billions of tax dollars every year. It's not just a waste of money. It's it's a harmful expenditure of money. So I think that at the very least we could reform the policy so that instead of we're giving instead of giving these billions of dollars to the industrial agribusiness, we could give it to local farmers' markets. Uh, local people making fresh, natural food that isn't full of preservatives. And uh, you know, everyone likes farmers' markets. Most people's only complaint is that farmers' markets are too expensive, and that's part of the down fall of this national agricultural policy is that cheap food has gotten cheap quality food has gotten cheap in price while high quality food has gotten high in price because exactly because of the federal policy and if we can undo that i think that health in america could really flip overnight and we'll then we'll have a healthier population because really a healthy population with healthy immune systems is the only way that we're really going to defeat this virus and the next one.
1: You spend a lot of time on your website talking, very health-themed on the on the website, I know this. Do you have a background in health, or is it just obviously health needs to be uh, about the number one concern of the nation right now?
0: Both. I don't have a traditional background, but I do do a lot of research, study. I want to be healthy. Um, everyone says that I look about 20. I'm 30, so I, I'm trying to be healthy, trying to to help other people to be healthy too. I actually did. I was part of a, uh, I I spent about two months eating very healthily in a a community in rural New York State uh, last year. And it was insane. I I wasn't eating uh, meats or anything with preservatives in it. And I had a lot of energy, like more than I normally do. And not that that was the beginning of my health craze, but... (sighs) But it certainly helped to reinforce
1: it. Uh, with what's going on right now with the coronavirus going around the country, um, how do you balance that with what's happening to the economy at the same time, and the risk of being in a recession or depression, and all the poverty and poor health that comes from that? Uh, what you know, what are some of your some of your thoughts on how we need to be balancing our response to the virus versus what we're doing to the economy at the same time?
0: Good question. So obviously shutting down the economy isn't the answer. And when someone says we're just going to shut it down, then people should realize that is not a solution. That's like saying, I don't know what to do. Let's just everyone go home. Uh, That's ridiculous. Again, the only way forward is to make our population more healthy, because even if a vaccine does work for this year, it's not going to work again in two years. And who wants to keep taking a new vaccine every other year? Um, I think that is absurd, and we really need to focus on making America healthy again, like truly healthy. Um, So, yeah, we can't just shut things down. We have to have a healthy population. I think that if you compare the countries that are no longer dealing with COVID with the countries who are, you'll see that actually diet is a a big difference between these. Uh, Look at Scandinavia versus here Um, and other countries that tend to consume a lot of fried food versus those that do not. Uh, I, I think that is really part of it and no one's talking about this, but they sure should be, especially given how much money we spend at the federal level, uh, to promote certain foods.
2: Yeah. It's not a shock that, uh, you know, it, really this virus mainly, uh, I would say mostly, actually, if you look at the data affects those with other comorbidities and what causes comorbidities. Well, in large part, obesity, diet, Yeah. And the, yeah. you know, really we have an obesity problem here in America and I'm no, I'm We no. have a
0: diabetes problem. We have cardiovascular problems and right. all of this is well documented to be a result of diet. At the same time, the CDC, uh, the National Institute of Health, they have all documented how by eating a diet that is very high in fruits and vegetables, you'll cut your rate of this in type of incidence in like more than half. So, you know, it's been said and said again, you are what you eat and of course i'm a libertarian i support your right to eat whatever you want but again my gripe is with all the money that government spends to promote certain foods
2: yeah and the, you know um talk about that a little bit more with the with the food pyramid and how that was developed if you want to and and kind of go into uh how they how big agriculture really affects uh what americans do eat every single day
0: right So big agriculture is everything in America. Uh, You hear that this farm bill is made to support small farms, but again, over 80% of those dollars go to large industrial farming corporations that are worth millions of dollars. Uh, So it's not about the small guy. And in fact, the farm bill gives the big guy an unfair advantage over the small guy that eventually drives the small guy out of business. And so again, you're left with less good food, and then the good food that is remaining is more expensive. So, yeah, the um, whether it's the studies on how lead wasn't impactful to people uh, coming out of gasoline, you know, a few decades ago or, or whatever have you. We can see whenever national studies are funded by big national organizations that are embedded with the government, they end up being dishonest and it leads to, uh, you know, uh, bad, bad effects for people whether it's, uh, you know, the increased incidence of all these preventable diseases. They say over half of all Americans now have preventable diseases. Preventable. We spend over $2 trillion a year treating preventable diseases. And over 96% of those who do not survive COVID-19, this is according to the CDC, over 96% have at least one pre-existing condition. Most of them have two. And again, when over half of all pre-existing conditions are preventable,
1: I think that we see the pandemic right there. How much do you think the way that we have our health care system organized uh, kills the incentive structure for being healthy? Well,
0: uh, you know, there is a lot of talk about uh, our healthcare system, if it were this, if it were that. I think that if we fix these root causes, that it wouldn't matter so much what the system would be because it would there would be so much less strain on the system because there wouldn't be so much preventable disease being treated. Um, in terms of the healthcare system myself, my approach is kind of too, too, twofold. And I think that really it should be passable by Democrats and Republicans. And if they can't agree to this, then, then I would ask them, what, what are they really looking for? And it's raining on me now. So um, <laughs> I'll be walking in the rain, sorry. But yeah, we need to, A, if Medicare is going to exist, and it is going to exist, we're not going to get rid of that anytime soon, then it should be accessible to anyone. I I believe in treating every individual equally, and so there you have it. However, it shouldn't be mandatory. No one should be forced into anything they don't want to be forced into. And so if we're going to make that accessible to everyone, then those people who get what they want should also support totally Deregulating the private health care and insurance market. That's a no brainer to me. And uh, with this combination of reforms, what you have been is an effective standardization of care um, while also allowing the free market to to um, to innovate and uh, make care cheaper and uh, cheaper in price and and uh, greater in quality.
2: So what you're proposing is a uh, open the public option, but also completely deregulate the the private.
1: And to be involuntary. uh, And to be involuntary. Exactly.
0: And I think that if that happens, most people are going to go private because it's easier, less bureaucratic, and it would be cheap. It'd be, you know, if a hamburger is $2, why do you need to? enroll in a government plan to get a free hamburger when your hamburger is $2 and you're going to have to do a lot of paperwork for the other role. And then of course, you know, whatever other guidelines are involved with, with the public option, because, you know, most people don't want to be reliant on the government and, and that's just how people are.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's a, a, a great analogy with the hamburger costing $2 and a lot of what we deal with right now and actually what I was alluding to, I think I've kind of said it wrong. So just to clarify for our libertarian listeners so I don't get all the hateful emails, uh, what I meant by the incentive <laughs> to, to be healthy is um, what if people actually had to pay for the healthcare that they use when they went to use it? Would they make better long-term health decisions? Um, that is, right. That's really the, the idea that, that I think a, a lot of people don't talk about is that um, we, have, we, we really lack an incentive to take good care of yourself when when you can just pay a the same monthly rate and be a little bit unhealthy and eat whatever you want and all those things are taken care of for you. Um, and obviously that doesn't go for all the population. But I do think it would be a big difference if people actually had to pay cash payment for these things in a cash payment world where it was actually affordable.
0: Right. <laughs> I think it's kind of similar to the debt disparagement um And this is actually something that a uh, former national chairman, Nick Starwerk, told me about people who are in debt. It really affects your psychology. And, you know, there's a certain hopelessness that comes with being in debt. And the same thing, I think, is when you end up with a lot of unhealth, you feel a certain hopelessness. Why are you going to start eating healthy now And delicious food is so much more delicious and you're already unhealthy? Um, but for that, you know, there is always hope. Um, I see people personally I trained jujitsu and jujitsu is one of the most intense things I've ever done. It's huge on cardio and I have watched people lose nearly a hundred pounds in a number of months, not years but months practicing jujitsu. And not that everyone needs to practice jujitsu, but it just goes to show that people can do whatever they set their minds to. And if you want to be healthy, then you can really transform your life in kind of a short amount of time you just have to believe that you can do it and then do it but again when you know health food is so expensive and the cheap stuff that the government makes cheap is just so readily available and right there it makes a lot of people less likely to pursue those healthy options so again we need to redo this nationalization of the food supply and uh, and let it promote the healthy options and let the healthy options become more delicious because actually they are, they're just more expensive. And that's what people can't afford. So,
2: Yeah, and your your average people can't afford them, really, um, it, along it, with all the other American things we want to indulge in.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. And right. they're really more expensive, like you talked about when we first got on here. Uh, they're more expensive for some reasons, like uh, if you're not using... Um, all of the chemicals, well, you're, you might not get the same yield per acre, things like that. Um, I, I I grew up at my whole family farms. Um, so you might not get the same yield per acre, but also the farmers are being subsidized so much that we don't actually know what the market prices of the cheaper food actually is. It might actually, it might be the same, the more expensive, the, exactly. the better food might might cost the same and be better.
0: Yeah. Uh, we just don't know. I watched a documentary fairly recently, called King Corn. Uh, This was shown to me by a long-time Illinois libertarian who I highly respect, named Julie Fox. And anyone who is uh, from the area and is in the Libertarian Party, they know Julie, and she's an awesome lady. And it was very informational, this documentary. Um, They actually did a genetic study on people and found that most of the carbon in people's bodies most of it comes from corn. It's where it originated, or at least the last, you know, time time it was in another living organism, it was in corn. And, uh, yeah, so that really goes to show just how homogenized the food supply has been. But more even than health, this homogenization of the food supply and nationalization has also created certain bottlenecks. And we saw this in... Uh, in the beginning of the pandemic, when we had disruptions to certain large national suppliers, that for a short time, the shelves in the grocery stores went bare because uh, these the national suppliers had disruptions and all the food was bought up and there was nothing to replace it. So the suppliers weren't ready. If we had a decentralized system focused on local uh, businesses instead of these big national players, then we wouldn't have that. Uh, that potential national security threat.
1: Now you're a libertarian and, and obviously libertarians have a tough time even getting on the ballot. I'm sure that wasn't super easy where you are, uh, but it's, it's very hard to get elected as well. Um, What, you know, what is kind of your government philosophy for people who uh, might be considering voting for a libertarian for the first time? What what do they need to know about libertarianism so they can consider it?
0: Well, look, there are a lot of people in all the parties. Parties are big and, you know, diversity is real. Uh, there are there are outright anarchists in the Libertarian Party. It's as simple as that. And there are socialists in the Republican Party. And there are free market capitalists in the Democratic Party. So everyone is everywhere. Um, I, I am not an anarchist. I'm a simple constitutionalist. I believe in the Constitution as it was written. I think the most important part of that Constitution are the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, the Ninth says that just because something is written in the Constitution to be a right of the people doesn't mean that the people don't have that right. And then the 10th says that the rights and powers not explicitly delegated to the federal government by the Constitution are prohibited or are reserved, rather, to the states and to the people. And so according to that, we see that most federal policy is actually unconstitutional. Uh, And I think that that's why we spend way too much money at the federal level why these federal players are able to be so big because of these federal subsidies. And if we would just follow the constitution, we wouldn't be so far in debt. We wouldn't be at war all over the world and, and we wouldn't uh, be so controlled by mega corporations.
2: Yeah. I find that interesting. And and that actually reminds me of my earlier question I was going to ask. You know, it's interesting how uh, you were talking about mega corporations and before you were talking about, you know how corporations uh, can be greedy and they can get these things through. It's interesting to me how uh, it, it takes government to uh, for these corporations to really enforce their will and be dishonest. Uh, that We were talking about the lead. Uh, so it, it, isn't it mm-hmm. interesting how these corporations don't really get away with it unless they're in bed with the government? Exactly.
0: Exactly. And, um, you know, th- there's even been recent scandals where – the Congress was really obstructing parts of the government from enforcing certain laws. Uh, 60 Minutes did a story uh, back in 2000. There was an update in 2017. I don't remember when it was, but you can actually uh, just Google Congress. Uh, Congress uh, What was it? Basically, Congress and Big Pharma were working together to stop the DEA, from from investigating these certain pharmaceutical distributors uh, who were providing uh, fraudulent amounts of opioids to small, uh, small dispensaries, small pharmacies in certain rural areas. And they were sending just obscene amounts of opioids to them. And of course, it was all fraudulent and they were being uh, sold on the black market. And certain people were making a lot of money with it. The uh, Big Pharma and the distributors, they were making money because, you know, they were selling the product. And um, these people were big enough that uh, that they actually got Congress to have, uh, they, they voted unanimously to uh, stop the DEA from doing what they were doing. Um, for anyone who's interested in that, just Google it. It was a 60-minute story, CBS, um, Congress, DEA. And, uh, yeah, just Google that. You'll find it.
2: That's uh, that's really eye-opening. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, you know, of course, the libertarian platform is we want to end the war on drugs, but I uh, still find it interesting how the how the government can, you know, uh, investigate itself and then decide itself that right. they can break the law if they want to um, because of well, certain donations.
0: Yeah, and in terms of the war on drugs, I think that um, if you look at history, you'll find that no one has ever overdosed on natural, wholesome opium. However, you take all of these these uh, synthesized opiates, these derivatives that are made pure chemicals, and then suddenly people are overdosing. So we've uh, we've gotten away from the natural in order to have products that can be patented, and that's where we get in trouble. Um, so we ought to stick to the natural options, and uh, and society will be much more healthy.
2: Well, I, I really uh, Preston, I really like your government philosophy and, and um, the health angle too. I find that uh, fascinating uh, and definitely a different perspective. and And I think you summed it up nicely for those that are possibly uh, voting libertarian for the first time. So, uh, running out of time here, so let people know uh, where they can go support you and um, and any other any other things you want to okay. drop.
0: Cool. Support is crucial. Um, You know, a fire doesn't burn without fuel. And we need some money to burn in order to run some more television commercials. And literally, I'm on television. Television makes a huge difference to people. Uh, So if you're a libertarian and you want the Libertarian Party to succeed, then donate to candidates who are running television commercials. Because when people see Libertarian on TV, they think, oh, wow, the Libertarian Party is getting big. They're on TV. Maybe they do deserve our vote this year. Um, I have I talk to people every day. They say, hey, I saw you on television. And that is like winning. Um, So we're on television. We're on the radio. Uh, Fun fact, my opponent is not campaigning because the last race he won. He won in a landslide because he ran against a Republican. However, I already have Democrats voting for me. The Republican Party is voting for me. The independents are voting for me. Libertarians are voting for me. The Green Party likes me because Raja hasn't done anything for them. And, um, this guy's the limit in this race. So if you are looking for someone to uh, get involved with and support, then find me. I'm on Facebook. Just Google press the Nelson for Congress or it is vote for Nelson. That's the number four on there. My website also is vote for And that's the number four in there. Vote for
1: all right, Preston, thank you very much for your time. Hopefully you got in out of the rain. And by the way, I found a link I'll put in the show notes here. XDEA agent, opi- opioid crisis fueled by drug industry in Congress on CBS.com. So I'm you put link found to
0: that. it. That's yep. exactly the one I was talking about. And thank you very much. Thank you to Nate and Charlie and for this podcast you do to keep people informed and interested in liberty. Uh, Ron Paul was a huge uh, mentor of mine. I got to meet him a couple of times. And um, if I can follow on Paul's footsteps, hopefully I'll, I'll get more done than just voting no on everything. But mm-hmm. if voting no is the best
1: I can do, then I will certainly vote no. That's awesome. I'd love a few more people in there voting no. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right. <laughs> thank thanks. you all very much. Thanks a lot, Preston. have a great All this evening. stuff
2: uh, linked in the show notes as well. So. All right. Thank, uh, you. thank you. Take care.